Trinity Center for Spiritual Living appreciates your selecting our podcast service as a part of your spiritual journey. The TCSL podcast has over 1,000 downloads a month worldwide by individuals just like you seeking to expand their spiritual magnificence. To express your gratitude and donate for the good you hear and the growth you experience from our lesson, visit our website at trinitycenteratlanta.org forward slash donate. As you donate, affirm, my offering affirms my commitment and my willingness to be an inlet and an outlet for the abundant How are you doing? Everybody's doing good? Get this one out of the way, okay. Okay. All this is different. I'm high and lifted up the last time I was down at your level. What is this about? Being up on the throne, <laughs> removed from the crowd? I may walk down there. You know, I like to be closer, but it's good. It's good. How, so you're doing good on this uh, liquid sunshine day? Yay? Uh, Fifty years ago, I uh, read a book that terrified me. I'm 65 now. I turn 65 on the 18th of this month. Yay. But 50 years ago, I read this book, and it terrified me. And I want to read a portion of it this morning to set the, the not to scare anybody, you know, or to terrify anybody, but to put it in another context. So we are approaching the end of one year and the beginning of a new one. This is a cycle, a pattern that we go through every year. And um, the book that I read then... It's called the Book of Revelation. You ever heard of it? Huh? So you already feeling some chills? <laughs> a good sci-fi horror movie story? That's how I approached it at 14 years old. At that time, I was in the Homeland Church of God in Christ, Pentecostal Church. And I had been convicted, I guess, in some respect. And so I sat down about the same time of this year and decided foolishly to read the entire book all 22 chapters in one night and I remember <laughs> 14 years old I remember after I finished reading the book I got down on my knees and I said oh I don't want to go to hell I don't want to burn forever forgive me for everything I've done okay and I got up off my knees and I thought about some other things that I had done or I might do and I went back oh I forgot what I was thinking about earlier, but please forgive me for that too. And one more thing. <laughs> it went on and on and on. Because in that world at that time, I thought the book was about heaven and hell. I thought it was about the end of the world. And I thought it was about the Antichrist. I thought about the seven-headed beast, etc. And most of the people around me felt the same way. But I was wrong and they were wrong. But we didn't know it. So I want to read these verses from chapter 21 of uh, the book of Revelation and give it a different interpretation. It says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth was gone. And the sea is no more. And in the Greek... And then at verse 6, 
and the one on the throne said to me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the one that thirsts, I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely. Ego to Alpha Kai to Omega. He arake kai telas. Ego to dipsonti sozo auto ektes peges tu kuratas tes zoes dorian. When you hear the word apocalypse, what comes to mind? Say it out loud. Destruction. What else? Chaos. What else? Death. What else? Dynamic change. What else? Apocalypse. End of the world. Wrong. All of that is wrong. Every bit of it. In the popular mind, that's exactly right. And that's what I had in mind when I first read it 50 years ago. That the apocalypse meant the end of the world, damnation, destruction, fire and brimstone, seven-headed beast, uh, sexy woman on a beast, uh, tempting people to sin, all those kinds of things. And that's not what it means at all. The book of Revelation begins with the opening words. And all biblical texts begin usually with the opening words that are the theme to the entire text. So it begins, Apocalypsis Jesu Christu. Apocalypsis in the Greek. Apocalypsis Jesu Christu. And the word apocalypse means the unveiling. It means the revealing of something wonderful, but that is hidden in the midst of something that's not so wonderful. You hear the difference? Apocalypsis Jesu Christu, but there's more to it than that. Because the name Jesu Christu, Jesu means the living one saves. Yahshua is Joshua. The living one saves. The living one heals. The living one makes whole. The living one transforms. And then Christu means the anointed one. It means the power of healing, transformation. It means the righteous one has come forth. So really, what we call the book of Revelation as the sci-fi horror story that we've been told over and over and over again wrongly is really the book about how the good news and the power of the living one who heals is being revealed in the midst of the things that seem to be hidden. You hear the difference? Now, the person who wrote this book, we don't know, it wasn't John, and we don't know who wrote it, but the person who wrote this book was writing at a time of... Um, Great oppression, to put it mildly. It was the time of the Roman Empire when uh, the Romans had uh, domination over much of the world that they knew, which included the ghetto of Judea, the far reaches of the empire. And in that ghetto were Afro-Asiatic people who began to believe that a particular man who was born in a stable was the promised Messiah, Yeshua. And they began to follow his teachings and promote his teachings from the underclass, from the underside. Servants, slaves, 
women, primarily. A few men. And a few well-to-do men, but not many. And uh, they began as a part of Judaism. They were a sect within Judaism. So they were underclass within an underclass. Everybody follow what I'm saying? And um, as they experienced their oppression, they began to talk about it in codes. It's like talking about uh, an elephant and a donkey. Political parties. You follow what I'm saying? So when you hear about seven-headed beasts and you hear about ten horns, etc., you're talking about something else in symbols. That's what they were doing. The person who wrote this text was on a penal colony as the state of Georgia began, as a penal colony. Georgia, King George Penal Colony. He was on Patmos Penal Colony. And in the midst of his oppression, maybe he hadn't been eating for a few days, he began to have these hallucinations. Now, I don't know if he had some other substance to kind of facilitate that, but he had hallucinations. I'm making it real. And he says on the Lord's Day, he has this hallucination, and these series of hallucinations become a, a, a narrative or a play in his mind. And here's the point. The book of Revelation is not about the end of the world. It's not about cataclysmic events. It's about a story that happens in the mind of a singular individual. And then that is coded as the end of one reality and the beginning of another. Can you follow what I'm saying? This is all happening where? In his mind. In his mind, and in the midst of his situation of oppression, of ostracism, of loneliness, of isolation, he has a series of nightmares. And these nightmares are personal, they are familiar, they are interpersonal, they are social. They are economic, and he believes that they are also cosmic. You see the power of the mind? They're what? They're personal. They're familiar, family. They're social. They are economic. They are political, and they are cosmic in his mind. The oppression is so extensive and so existential and so deep and so horrific for him that he's overwhelmed. He has a psychotic event, a series of episodes, essentially. And it is the stuff that he has to work through before he can see the new heaven and the new earth. You feel where I'm going with this? He's not able to see the new heaven and the new earth, which was always there. Where? In his mind. Until he worked through what? The stuff that was also right there in his 
mine. They both were there, and they all were there. What made the difference, beloved? He had to change his thinking, and he had to change how he was looking at what he thought he saw. And he had to go deeper than the surface of what things seemed to be. You feel that? What he saw was true in his world. What he saw was real in his world. Personally, familiarly, socially, economically, politically, and cosmically. It was all true. Based on his experiences in life. Based on his defeats in life. Based on the fact that he was now at a prison colony and possibly sentenced for death. It was real. It was the end of the world as he knew it. And it was the end of the world, it seemed so, based on what other folk were doing to him. Does that sound familiar? And it doesn't mean that other folk weren't doing things to him because they put him in prison, but at one point it was only what other people were doing to him that seemed to be the ultimate reality. Until what? Until he changed his mind and looked deeper than what other folk were doing and looked beyond what other folk were doing and discovered within himself a new heaven and a new earth. And at the same time that he discovered a new heaven and a new earth, the old heaven and the old earth did what? They passed away. It's like Yeshua in the garden, which is another type. As soon as he received the Holy Spirit after John baptized him, in one text, Mark says, he was driven into the desert. And in the desert, for 40 days and 40 nights among the wild beasts, which are symbols of demons or demonic powers, he's fasting. And you know the story at the end. Who appears to him? Diabolos, the slanderer. And the devil tempts him with three different types of temptations, aren't they? You know, turn that, turn them stones there into some bread, you know you're hungry. Oh, that doesn't work. Well, why don't you come up here on this, uh, this pinnacle and I'll just show you all this wealth and abundance you can have. You just bow down to me. Uh, well, it, why don't you just jump off of this ledge here? You know, you, I believe I can fly. You believe you can fly? Jump off this ledge here and fly. So at those three temptations, we're told that then the angels came to him and ministered to him, right? Uh, here again, beloved, where does this take place? In his mind. In his mind. In his mind, Diabolos appears. As he works through 
things that are real challenges for him, then the angels appear where? In his mind. So the secret to the old year and the secret to the new year is located where? In our mind. Period. Is located in our minds. Now there's one more component. It's not just a matter of thinking away the old <laughs> and thinking about the new. It's not just meditation. It is meditation, but it's meditation as a life rhythm. You hear that? It's meditation that has hands and feet. So when John and when Jesus or Yeshua have the nightmare of the old and the promise of the new, they still got to get up and do something. They got to do something new about their inner reality. They got to do something new about their interpersonal relationships. Who has to do something new? They've got to do something new because they've been what? Empowered now to do something new about their interpersonal relationships. They've got to do something new about their social, political, and economic realities in which they live. And they've got to do something new about what they think the cosmic implications of all that is. So it's not just believing that's transformed. It's not just seeing that's transformed. It's a life rhythm that is transformed. It's a New Year's resolution built in the hardness of the old. Because you see, it grows out of that. It's not just a matter of casting it away. It's a matter of transforming. It was still heaven and earth, but they had been what? Transformed. It was still the nitty-gritty of Monday morning. It's still going to be the nitty-gritty of January the 2nd. And when the party's over, <laughs> when the drink's over, when the dancing is over, Right? When the hallelujahs are over, I made it to 2018, and the joy of 2019 comes in. The stuff is going to come back. <laughs> and it's going to look like the same stuff. I thought I sent you away. Well, you did, but I'm still yours. <laughs> <laughs> and what do you have to do? You have to remember the transformation that you have undergone. And you've got to live the transformation day by day, moment by moment, step by step, the way you've seen the new possibility. And you have to be as persistent in it. I don't mean forcing it, but as persistent. In cultivating that rhythm. That's the other thing John had to do. The other writer. He had to cultivate that different perspective. Of transformation. And you cultivate it. Day by day. And moment by moment. 
and in order to make it real. First and foremost, right here. Then, in the family. Then, or simultaneously, in our social relationships. Our economic exchanges. Our political engagement. And our cosmic vision. It's a new day every day that we choose to make it so. It's a new week, a new month, a new season, and a new year. Because we have the power where? In our minds to activate what? All of our reality. That is what puts us in the place that is called Tezelim Elohim in the Hebrew. The image, we say in English the image of God. That's not what the Hebrew says. It says in the image of the strong ones. The ones who are able to make things happen. Because they synchronize their minds, their bodies, their souls in such a way that it has an effect on their environment. As they become collaborative co-creators of reality. And that's what the new year is about. It's about consciously choosing to be a co-creator. And when we consciously choose to be a co-creator, then like John, we're going to see a new heaven. We're going to see a new earth. But we're not going to stop there, are we? We're going to activate being the new heaven and the new earth. And so it is. Spiritual Living Podcast for your spiritual journey and for the expression of your generosity at trinitycenteratlanta.org forward slash donate.